morning church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, and Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. Luke chapter 17, reading from the ESV. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brothers sin, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? May God help us hear his word. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for reading God's Word for us this morning, and thank you for being here, church. It's wonderful to be able to welcome you in this first Sunday of 2018, and I'm feeling good today just because of the protest cries of the children as they left. It's good to know our, our children would prefer to remain in, at least that's the way I'm interpreting it. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to remain uh, in those passages of Scripture. There's two passages of Scripture. We'll mention one other. But as you've probably heard, we are beginning a new series in 2018. Uh, we're, we're calling it, just to summarize, Believe, Belong, and Behave. And uh, I, I think I should clarify that when we talk about believing, belonging, and behaving, we're really not talking about these separately because each of these are dependent on each other. In other words, our behavior should be dependent upon what we believe. And as we belong, we practice in community the kind of behaviors that are consistent with what we believe. These behaviors are quite impossible to practice in isolation. If you're the kind who thinks, well, I could be a Christian, but Christians irritate me, so I'm just going to worship at home, and I'll listen to John Piper or Tim Keller and sing in the shower, then good on you, but you will not be able to practice godly Christ-like behaviors without someone else to be a one to your other. So we're looking at this uh, series all year long, and we will begin with just three messages to focus on first belief, then belong, and then behave before we get into the text that we'll be preaching through. I uh, don't know, some of you won't be old enough to remember uh, George Michael. I am. 
not my favorite kind of music, uh, but I do recall when I was pastoring in Canada years ago, he had the number one selling album in 1988, I remember that, singing about faith. It's very sophisticated lyrics, if you don't remember, faith, uh, faith, uh, faith, uh. I need a little more faith. You know, it, it's actually a conversation that people have a lot. We, we make assumptions, those of us who are in church, that people who are not in church seldom talk about the things we talk about. Actually, people talk about faith all the time. In the fall of 1995, then-President Boris Yeltsin in Russia was trying to deal with the Chechen rebellion, and, and he made this statement, which I thought was actually quite fascinating, coming from uh, someone who was apparently an avowed atheist. He said, we have faith that we will see a peaceful resolution to the Chechen crisis. And then, of course, five days later, he sent in Russian tanks and bombers to do what his faith could not. And, and that's the tension, right? We hear people talking about faith all the time, and, and oftentimes there's great expectations connected to faith. Uh, then how do we deal with the fact that faith didn't actually work out the way we thought it would? Not to name him, but I think he's a good-looking pastor. Do you know uh, last year he was in Indonesia, which I thought was kind of awkward because he actually called it his name Healing Crusade, which I'm not sure you want to call it a crusade in the largest Islamic country in the world, but that's what they did. And, and the press on this announced that his first meeting was the largest gathering in Indonesia in the history of that nation. Now, I wasn't there to count, and I'm not here to argue about the numbers. I'm just saying there was a lot of people who showed up to hear him preach a series of messages. One night alone, there was one million people who showed up. I'm not good at math, but I'm assuming that's about the number that's here today. Thank you. The, the problem, of course, was in, Indonesians knew about the reputation of this man and, and knew that he, he somehow had this gift of healing. And so many sold a kerbau, they sold water buffalo so they could afford to travel to the trip so, so that they could bring their loved ones who were, who were sick or, or blind or lame to this crusade. And, and honestly, I watched the YouTube. As far as I could tell, a lot of people w were getting better. The, the problem is, a lot of those people who stood up and made their first hesitant steps, they also left that meeting in a wheelchair. And so people began to ask, what happened to the, the miracles? And this is the response from his organization. The reason people began to lose their healing is because they lacked faith. They begin to doubt that Jesus did it, and then they lose it. No. I'll be honest, you, you know my story. I, I was a teenager. I had lots of doubts. I thank God that I didn't lose what he did in me as an eight-year-old. If you believe that what God does, he does perfectly and he does forever, then this is troubling, right? What is the truth? What are the facts about faith? Even though everyone's talking about faith, can my faith really work miracles? Will my 2018 really be better if I just had more faith? If my faith was bigger or greater somehow, will I see better and bigger things happen in my life, in my family, in my church? Is that really possible? 
And, and then this question, why don't people believe? Why don't I believe? Why, why am I afraid to trust? Why do I pray conditional prayers? And Father, if it's your will, just in case, you know, it's not. Is it because I want him to be sovereign? Or is it because I'm afraid that my faith isn't big enough to make it happen? So these are some of the questions we're going to ask. First, you know, why don't people believe? Uh, Romans chapter 10 is a helpful passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, in verse 15 says, Everyone who calls on him will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I don't know if you've noticed what the Apostle Paul has done, but he's actually reverse-engineered evangelism with the end in mind. So, in other words, he starts at the back end, the conclusion, and he works forward. First, someone preaches, and so someone hears. That's at the end. Second, someone hears, and so someone believes. Third, someone believes, and so calls on him. And the final promise is everyone who calls on him will be saved. Now, the problem is we only read this in a, in a church context. We only read this kind of scripture in a CG. So we assume that the only people who believe are believers, which is code for Christians, right? Am I, am I understanding this right? When we say believers, we mean Christians. And so the temptation is to believe that, that only believers have faith. I just need to point out something awkward about the passages that Jonathan read for us. Those disciples were following Jesus before they had received the gift of his spirit. In, in fact, both Luke 8 and Luke 17 occur after Luke 6. This is going to really wreck you. What happened in Luke 6? Luke 6, Jesus calls his disciples, and from his disciples, he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Wait, Pastor, please don't tell me those apostles weren't believers. Those apostles were not yet believers as we know them today. The Spirit that lent believers raised from the dead power had not yet settled in their hearts. They were following. That was the thing to do. They were appointed to be his ambassadors, but they were still figuring out what that meant. Oh, so you've never said yes before you understood the whole deal? You mean you start up your iPhone brand new without reading all that little small print? Yes, you do all the time, right? They signed up without reading the small print. In fact, you will notice in our text today, they're even called apostles now. Yet, they haven't been interviewed by the elders. They're not a part of any church. They're on their way in a Christ direction. And you will find they had a belief system. 
It was a belief system that wasn't always reliable, but they had a belief system nonetheless. That means without faith, not only is it impossible to please God, without faith, it's impossible to live on this planet. Just, just be honest with that. Everybody has been given this faith, this gift to trust, to believe in something. That's why even atheists believe in something. His name just is not God. Every businesswoman who drives to work, she may never darken the door of this church, but she has a faith system. She is trusting that her brakes will respond, that her steering will work. She is sitting in two metric tons of plastic and metal. She's trusting that everybody else on the road will not be drunk. That's faith. Every farmer who plants his crop is doing so believing the rain will come, the sun will rise. He can't control either. He's just trusting because he's been given this faith because without faith, it's impossible. Please, God, it's impossible to live on this earth. Everyone believes. The reason it's so difficult for men, I'm talking to you guys, to believe is because we're raised in a culture that teaches us the lie that we're in control of our own destiny. And that's why you seldom see road rage in women, but you do in men all the time. Because every amber light, every speed limit sign reminds me that I'm not in control. That drives me crazy. It conflicts with my belief system. And a bigger problem, we'll, we'll touch on this in a few more minutes, why don't people believe in Jesus? Because it's not really a matter of faithing Him or believing in Him. It's a matter of exchanging the belief I now have allegiance to. Exchanging the belief I have for the belief I need. When you already have something... You've already purchased it. You don't want someone to come along and say, that's not actually that reliable. That's why you PC users don't like Mac users. You've already invested. You don't want some arrogant, self-righteous Mac user to come along and say, you know, we don't get viruses. You know, our Mac's going to live forever. You don't want that because you already have something. Everyone has belief. Well, then, this question, will, will 2018 be better if I just have more? If, if my faith grows, and my, my well-meaning Christian friends tell me, they, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had a Christian friend tell me, Ian, you know, if you just believed in God more, you could run without asthma. It never wheeze. You know, well-meaning television evangelists say, you know, if you just had faith, you would never grow old. Clearly, my faith needs to increase. When I was in California, I was watching a show, and the evangelist said, if you really had faith, your clothes would never wear out. So, so that's the question. Will 2018 in this church, in your life, in your family, will it really be better if you just had faith? more faith. You see, even Jesus' apostles believed that. Luke 17, the apostles said, see, it doesn't say the disciples. This is before the Holy Spirit. The apostles said, I increase our faith. 
Now, now, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes I think we're too hard on these guys. I mean, because the Bible doesn't try and talk around trouble. It doesn't try and make those who follow him look perfect. So it just shows them with all their cracks, all their imperfections. And, and on this side of the Holy Spirit, we kind of make judgments. We think, oh, you guys, don't you realize you're, you're so immature? And, and so we kind of judge them. But at least these guys knew to cry out to Christ. And, and at least they knew to act strategically. When, when do you need faith most? When you have a great job, when your salary is better than all the people you work with at your office, when life is going well, your kids are well behaved, you need faith then? No. When life is most difficult, that's when faith is exposed. And do you notice what was most difficult? What miracle did these disciples need that they would cry out to Christ and say, increase our faith, O God? What, what blind man needed seeing? What, what deaf needed hearing? Do you, do you notice? Jesus had just finished saying, so if this friend repents and asks your forgiveness 99 times, you must forgive them. Oh, Lord, increase our faith. Who can do that? See, this is real life. You know, some of you are living with unforgiven sin. It's, so, someone you know, has hurt you, has done you wrong, and you somehow feel more power if you camp out on the cancer of unforgiven sin. At least these disciples knew. Give, give me whatever I need to meet that level of your expectation that I will live a forgiving and forgiven life. You must forgive. And Jesus' response, Jesus replied, I think this might be verse 6, actually. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, this is actually a mustard seed. If you had that size of faith, you could say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the tree and it or into the sea, excuse me, and it will obey you. Just, just that amount of faith. And, and we often read this and, and we see it as Jesus actually affirming, yes, the reason you can't forgive your brother or sister is because your faith is too small. It's not even the size of a mustard seed. And, and so we read this, and we, we don't find improvement. We find that with, we guilt. You're like, yeah, that's horrible. I don't even have the, the, the faith the size of this little seed. And, and that's why my life is a wreck. But, but if we could all read a language that most of us cannot, we would see something in these words that is impossible to communicate in English. This this statement that Jesus asked, it's actually a first-class conditional clause. And in a first-class conditional clause, it begins with if, but if we were to translate it literally, we would know that Jesus was saying, if you had just the faith of this mustard seed, and you do, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and tossed into the sea, and it would. That's what he's saying. It's not that you do not have enough. It's not about volume. 
if you had this much, and you do, uh, by the way, I love Eugene Peterson. I know that the message is not a translation, but he uh, led one of my doctoral seminars, and I came upon him doing his devotionals in the original language. This brother knows his language. Here's how he translates this. But the master said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to the sycamore tree, go jump in the lake, and it would do it. Every one of us, me standing here, you sitting there, we have this gift. God has given it to us. So how? If we have everything we need, what's going on? Let me bring us back to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat with all the faith they'll ever need. Jesus is so good in a storm, he falls asleep. Verses 23 and 24 says, And as they sailed, Jesus, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. You, you see, they had a faith system. They had something that they believed in. They, they had experience. They had background they had a faith that was invested in what? Their experience and their background. Their training as fishermen and sailors. And so when the storm came up, they leaned on the faith they had. They bailed. They trimmed the sails. They rowed harder, perhaps. They were expressing their faith in their background and in their fear. And so they cried out. Master, we are dying. What did the sailors believe? They believe in big waves. They cried out, Master, we're all going to die. Is this just an announcement? You know, they're giving a, a flash bulletin, just letting you know we're going to die. They're apostles, remember? They were representing the sleeping man in the boat. They just didn't know who he was. So, This right is right here. What some of you have been wondering. This this is a ladder. In, in case I mean, just in case you were wondering what this is. But uh, it's not just any ladder. It's an IKEA ladder, which means I had to put it together. It, it's made of solid wood. It's stained black. It's got full metal bracings. Now, what am I doing? I'm sharing the dogma. I'm sharing the faith. It, I'm sharing what I believe about this ladder. The faith is not the same as faith. The belief that we will be teaching through equip is not the same as how we behave with the belief. So another way to say behaving with belief is saying how you behave, how you faith. This is the faith I just told you. Ikea ladder. Do you know I checked? This, this ladder can safely hold 200 kilos. Now that's what I believe. The dogma, the doctrine about the ladder. Now, that's good, and if I was to walk around boasting about that ladder, you would say, good for you, you have a strong ladder. But if you see me get up on this ladder, 
that's something else, right? Because I'm actually putting the dogma and integrating it into my life. In fact, it, it really can hold 200 kilos. I'm only 80. Of course, I have a bit of vertigo. No, I'm kidding. So when I'm up here, holy moly, I feel tall. <laughs> you, you know, this is awesome. Eugene, I recommend. I recommend you try this. So, so here's what I'm doing. I'm demonstrating right out in public what I believe to be true about this ladder. And when I invite Eugene to stand here with me, I'm evangelizing. It's not that complicated. You don't need an evangelism seminar. All we need to do is believe something so passionately that we integrate it in our life and we demonstrate it day by day. I'm staying up here. I like it. And, and you know what? If it really works for us, we bigger, build a bigger ladder. I mean, this is pretty big. We could have a lot of pastors up here. But here here's the important thing. If only I just had the dogma. See, because sometimes we feel like, sorry for those disciples, because, you know, they had no BSF. All they had was Jesus, <laughs> you know. We, we feel sorry for them. They had no discipleship material, no navigators, no international mission board to help them know how to be missionaries. They, they just had Jesus. You know, but if all you have is Bible information, hear this, nobody is saved on this planet because they have access to the right information. That's why James said, oh, you believe that God is one? Good for you. The demons believe that. We are no better than fallen angels if all we have is the dogma. Until we act on what we believe, there's no strength in it. And that's why all year long we're going to attempt to not fall off of ladders and we're going to attempt to integrate into our lives and model what we believe to be true. So, why don't we believe? I'll go quick. The first reason I've already shared it, it's, it's not about learning to believe. It's about replacing the belief we already have with a saving belief. And, and, and here's what we call that. We call that repentance. So even just now, when, when I'm calling Eugene and saying, you need to try that, in order to try it, he needs to leave the trust he has in a pew and stand and learn to trust a ladder. And trust me, when you're comfortable in a pew, you don't go around looking for ladders. Some crisis, some invitation, some convincing example might convince one of your friends to turn from the belief system they have and turn to explore your belief system. But how do they begin to believe and why are we so afraid to trust? When I was 12, our family was getting ready to move to Malaysia. And so we took one last vacation to my uncle's property in Anderson Lake, central British Columbia. It was remote. We, it took us about 11 hours to get there, and half the way was gravel road, not, not paved road. It was just dirt. 
And to get there, we had to follow a river gorge. I was going to show you a picture, but it was terrifying at 12. Not that terrifying now, so it, it wasn't worth it. But the road was right along the edge of the river. And you could look down, way down, and see the white water below of the Thompson River. And, and my brother, who was much older, he was two years older, okay, 17 months, and two years braver, this is before seatbelt laws, he was hanging out the window with his arm. Now, what you know about 12 is that gravity is very powerful. And the higher you are, the more likely gravity is pulling you over the edge, right? And so I was really anxious. I was like whining and saying, Hamish, get in the car. You're going to drag all of this over. Mom, tell Hamish to get out of the car. And my mom was like, Hamish, dear, get, a, get in the car. <laughs> You're scaring your little brother. I'm not scared. <laughs> just tell him to stay in. And, and, and I was just so panicking the whole way. I was, you know, white knuckled. I, my, my jaws were aching. I was terrified. And the more he leaned, you know, because what brothers are, he would go, Meh. and I go, don't do that. <laughs> and so, so I, the more he did that, the more I would lean to the other side of the car. I was leaning hard against the door. And then he said, hey, you could fall out of that door. And then I was in the middle. Yeah, my brother, the tormentor. Hamish means Jacob, by the way, trickster. When you see him, just saying. Finally, I said to him, Hamish, what? why are you doing that? Just in, I give up. Whenever a little brother says, why are you doing that? That means you're giving up. And you said, my dad's driving. You know the difference between the two brothers? I was trusting my anxiety and gravity. My, my brother Hamish was saying, I know my dad. He's not trusting the car. He's not saying this road is secure, we're not going to fall. He's saying, my dad is driving. So this is the key to faith. It's not, you know, putting yourself at risk by climbing a ladder and saying, oh, okay, that's good. It is knowing the object of your belief and finding him to be trustworthy. And this is what the disciples didn't have. This is what I often don't have. I trust my anxieties. By the way, are you worrying about something that's already happened? No, you're not. It hasn't happened. But you're trusting it anyway. Trust disaster. Why pray when you can be anxious all the time? These disciples were trusting in big waves do you understand this was so critical to the Apostle Paul? That's why we see him in Philippians chapter 3 saying, I count everything as loss for the surpassing knowledge of studying the law of God. No. For the surpassing knowledge of more classes in seminary. No. For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. It's for his sake. How do you even know he's worthy giving everything up? You don't know it unless you know him. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them in rub as rubbish so that I might gain him and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes, here it is, from faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. 
See, because I know him, that's why I faith him. That's why I believe in him. And the more I know him, the more secure my faith will be. You should know that I, I didn't just now step up on that ladder. I've Honestly, all this week I've been spending quality time with this ladder. Been having my quiet time with this ladder, just checking it, making sure it's okay. You know, nothing worse than, you know, falling in front of everybody. I wasn't born with a ladder trust. I, I had to replace, just like you, your, my trust with my office chair. The, let me just try this for a bit. And, and the better I got balancing on the first step, I, I rose up to the next step. Yeah, I tried to do it when, you know, nobody was in the office, but I was doing it all week long. If you thought I was confident in this ladder, it's because I got to know the ladder. That's his invitation to all of us. He's not inviting us to get a PhD in Bible knowledge. He's asking us to know him. Study him. Model his behaviors. Reach for his standard. And the more I spend time with him, the more secure I am in daily living. I want to invite you as we prepare for the Lord's Supper to just bow with me for a moment. If you're here this morning and just like me and just like those apostles, you are learning to follow Jesus. I don't need to ask you if you have faith. Of course you do. But I wonder if you can say, it is my ambition every day to seek him when I awake, to seek him through my day, to talk with him before I sleep, to absorb his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Sometimes we are so busy doing things for him that we don't energize our hearts by spending time with him. So in this moment, as we prepare our hearts to come to this table, you know who Jesus invited to the table at that first last supper? He invited those he knew and loved. This is why we remember that supper, symbolic, not of some religious rite that would be practiced for millennia, but symbolic of how great was the love of this one in whom we trust. 
if you're here this morning and you, and you realize, well, I've been doing lots of stuff, but I've been trusting my anxieties. Would you just spend a few moments and turn from what you have been trusting and come to him just now in your heart. Say, oh, Lord, I am coming home to you. You made me for you, and I've been trusting my feelings. You gave me faith, and I've been lavishing that gift of faith on unreliable support systems that barely get me through every week, let alone every lifetime. Before we come to the table, the Lord's table, would you just turn from whatever faith system you have been leaning on and in this moment say, God, I long to lean hard into you. I turn from everything I thought was valuable. Consider it rubbish because there is surpassing value in knowing you. You may not think it necessary now because at this moment, you are enjoying life by the power of a pew. But the day is coming when you too will need raise the dead power and the pew will not help you. Father God, we recognize that you have given us and all of humanity an extraordinary capacity to trust And yet we, even those who learned early to call upon your name, we have taken that gift and we have lavished it upon unworthy objects. Will you not draw us to yourself? Put in us a thirst for your presence. And I pray that all across this auditorium this morning, you would see and sense hearts turning turning from the objects and background and significance that we have lavished faith on and turning afresh to You. Strengthen us that we might know You better. Strengthen us that You would be able to equip us with behaviors that are more like our Heavenly Father, more like Christ and less like us. God, we thank you that you stand ready and willing to receive us. Find in us men and women who daily turn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus and his disciples, who were yet learning how to follow him, gathered in that upper room, they were celebrating an ancient Hebrew feast a Passover. It was when the children of Israel, chosen by God, took a perfect lamb, a, a lamb without spot or flaw, slaughtered it, and painted the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their homes 
And that night when the angel of death came and saw the blood of the perfect lamb, he passed over. Because of that, since that time, Christians all over the world remember the blood of a perfect lamb. His name was Jesus. Painted on the door, doorposts of our hearts. Celebrating that we now can have confidence that the angel of death will one day pass over. Not because he sees our good behavior, sees that we have been sitting and trusting in pews, but because he sees the blood. And so in this event, if, if you're unfamiliar with Christian practices, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. But we want to assure you that there's nothing magical in this little wafer. There's nothing special in that cup. Uh, nothing is going to happen. But if you're not a believer of Christ, you are not expected to follow this. This, this is for those of us who claim to know him. So please, if it makes you feel, just let, just let the elements go by. Uh, there will be some of us who will feel like, I believe and I want to follow him, but I got stuff in my life, and so I should not take. Let me say this. Judas was at the table with betrayal in his heart. And Jesus still said, come take. Just don't be like Judas, who left the room. We invite you to come to the table and turn to him. I would like those who are helping us to serve to come and help us. As we prepare to remember the death and sacrificial life of Christ, I'm going to invite Pastor Eugene to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for the gift of your Son. Father, we thank you for Jesus who has come to be our bread, the living bread. Mm. Father, as we partake the bread together, we pray that this might not be just mere ritual. We pray that our hearts would be turning to you through your Son. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. We thank you that you raised him from the dead. We thank you that in him there is life, there is nourishment, there is hope and help. So Father, we pray that we would turn to Christ by faith and trust him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.